Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. My name's Sam Bruce. It's a pleasure to be joined uh, for this latest edition of the podcast by a colleague here in the Sydney office, uh, rugby enthusiast and Gordon Stalwart in the women's uh, portion of the club. Uh, Brittany Mitchell, welcome aboard. Hey guys, it's good to be joining you. I've been waiting patiently for my invite, so it's exciting to be included. And back with us again, of course, Christy Doran from Fox Sports and the 15. And Christy, we're going to start straight off the top today, mate. Um, some breaking news as we speak. Uh, word over the weekend that Darren Coleman had been given the New South Wales Waratahs job or offered it at least. But you've got an update, mate, on the actual contract situation. Yes, yeah, so I was told that he was offered the role, offered a two-year deal, but has since uh, negotiated up to a three-year deal. And I think that will be announced on Thursday, uh, where Darren Coleman will front the media via Zoom from Los Angeles, where, where he is at the moment with the Giltinis doing wonders over there. And it's a great result for, I think, New South Wales rugby, because this is a bloke who had done pretty much everything that you could from a shoot shield perspective. He really rebuilt Gordon and Ringa rapidly, turned them around. The big question is, can he do his biggest rebuilding mission and and do what Michael Checker maybe he did uh, in, in 2013. And then, you know, we saw the fruits of that a year later in 2014. That's obviously the goal. It's, it's a big rebuilding mission. Good luck to him. But looking forward to seeing what Brute has to say, given that, you know, the club that that he rebuilt, Gordon, which had almost 100 points put on them at one point in time just before he arrived, um, what, what she has to say about, uh, about Darren Coleman at, at Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Brett, it's, it's sorry. It's great to have you on for the, the first time this year, this week, um, purely because your your inside knowledge of the Gordon Club, your family's been associated with it for for many years now. Um, you've ridden the uh, well, mostly the lows over the last two decades, I guess. But um, just talk us through uh, the state that the club was in before Darren arrived. Christy mentioned there's some record defeats, um, pretty much shoot shield cellar dwellers there for years. Uh, he comes in. Um, and is able to turn the club around and, and take them to a premiership last year in in such um, you know grand style. Just just take us inside the club about where he or how he was able to to transition it through to um, being uh, premiers last year. Yeah, well, uh, I guess everyone is aware, as you said, cellar dwellers. We were um, bottom of the comp for a long time there and, and really struggling. You know, some years we'd only get two, three wins, and they were generally against, you know, the likes of Two Blues, Penrith, um, West Harbour. Um, yeah, it was a, a lot, a hard slog there for a long time. And, um, you know, a, a few years ago, we, we lost to, a, a, no takeaway to the Two Blues, but, you know, we were even getting um, a few losses to the Two Blues and, and the likes, and, and we were just getting absolutely dominated by a, a lot of teams. And um, I think it, it really took a toll on, a lot of the the young guys coming through and a lot of the stalwart kind of players, they, um, you know, a lot of the older guys didn't really want to be there anymore. It was really hard to bring the younger guys through as well. Um, so when DC signed um, 2018 to come in 2019, there was a lot of um, hope and faith that he could turn the club around. Um, 2019 was still a bit of a hard slog. They, they didn't get the results they were after. Um, 2019, as we all know, uh, it, it kind of all finally came together and, and, and we got that premiership and, you know, we, we ended that drought. But, um, 
yeah, like we said, he came in in, in 2019 and, and that's when everything kind of really turned around. He um, He's very much a culture guy and it wasn't just about the grade guys. It wasn't just about first grade and it wasn't just about um, cults. It was about the whole club. Um, so 2019 was the first year for the women's 15s. It was the second season of the women's sevens and he didn't ignore that. He wanted them to be a part of the club and he really wanted to build a big culture around the Gordon name. Um, and he did that. I, I remember I joined um, in 2019 to play for sevens team. And one of the first things that I was brought into was a whole club fitness day. So that was grade Colts, women's 15s and women's sevens. Um, and uh, he took us to um, Palm Beach. He took us to Manly and then he took us to Mossman. And the reason he took us there was because they were our three local rivals. There were Ringarats, Manly, and it was uh, north, northern suburbs. And he took us all and we did all these fitness things and it was all about building this culture. And he wanted to show us these are our rivals and these are the teams we're, we're going we're gonna to beat. Um, and it worked, you know, it, it brought the whole club together, you know, we everyone's bought into everything that he was saying and he turned it all around. So, yeah, it, it's fantastic to be a part of a club that, you know, has gone from the bottom and he's brought them back to the top and, and he did the same thing at the Rats and he did uh, same thing at a, a few other places. So, um, yeah, it was great. But in saying that, those fitness days, I think the, the biggest regret I had going to that fitness day was that everyone knew my name. So they all knew when I stopped running. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was, he, he really brought people in and he really got people to buy into the club and buy into this notion that, you know, we, we can do it. We can win this premiership. And we, we will end the drought. It was um, fantastic to be there. And, you know, last year I was in the crowd at the grand final and I had tears coming down my face because after, you know, 15 years of watching my brother get absolutely hammered. We finally got there. <laughs> yeah, pre-season uh, fitness sessions, everyone's favourite, but a great day for the Highlanders there last year. Christy, um, it's certainly what you hear about Darren Coleman, isn't it? That uh, he's a player's coach. Um, he loves, uh, I know it's an expression they love to use in the AFL, or getting around the boys. Um, I think it's a great cricketer favourite as well from memory. Um, he's a guy that can really, seems to have a great ability to connect with players. Uh, Britt mentioned Warringah there, speaking with Sam Ward, uh, Warringah captain there from their premiership season, um, saying the same thing. But on the flip side, if you're not doing the hard work, then he's also going to call you out. Um, with that in mind, he looks like the perfect guy for the Waratahs at this point because they're going to need to someone to come in and put an arm around them, um, but also take them to where they need to be because they're coming off a season, as we all know, 0-13. Sack Rob Penny there, just a, um, a game into the second round of uh, a Super Rugby AU. Um, their defence was just absolutely woeful. Um, number of times conceding over 50 points. Uh, certainly got plenty of attack in them. But uh, there's going to be some wounded souls in that club and he's going to have to come in and, and really, uh, I guess, work it with the same magic he did with Warringah and Gordon, isn't he? Yeah, you're not wrong. <clears throat> you look at the inexperience of that side as well. You, you go through the back line and uh, maybe the oldest is Jack Maddox, um, who, uh, no disrespect to Jack, I don't, I don't think he's never necessarily had that leadership ability. He's a confident sort of player as well. And then you go, well, who's next? And it's Isaiah Parisi, who's you know, 20, 23, 24, and he's trying to rebuild his career. So I, I think the first couple of things that they're going to be looking to do is how can we get a, some experience, but some experience with um, not, not not guys who have, you know, just really been around the, the bush, but 
the beaten track, but the guys that have had championship experience. And I don't know if Dave Dennis is in a position to come back, but he's 36 or so, but he's still doing the business. Um, he's captaining LA Gilatini's at the moment. You want guys that know what New South Wales rugby is all about. And they're a couple of the people that I'd be targeting, particularly in the, in the forwards. Um, but we know that, you know, Darren Coleman's been on this journey as well. It, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't necessarily respected everywhere he was 10 years ago. You know, he was at the Brumbies as an assistant. And I think even Michael Hooper might've been there, a very young Michael Hooper. Um, he would have grown a lot. Yes, you've got to put a, an arm around people at times, but he will also come in with a, a pair of, of, of fresh eyes, knows what's happened last year. I think a, a bit of a clean break from some of the current coaching structure will be great. We know that Matt Cobain's off to Japan joining um, Rob Penny, uh, ironically, and I think they're going back to NTT in Japan. Um, we, we know that at the moment, a couple of the other assistants uh, also um, there for another year, whether or not both uh, Chris Whitaker and Jason Gilmore remain there, I think one of them will and, and probably more likely wits, but Darren Coleman's an attack coach as well. So I think it will be interesting to see what role Chris Whitaker has, but he's a guy that bleeds blue. I think the attack worked well, as you mentioned beforehand. There's still plenty of things to, uh, to occur over the, over the coming weeks, but now that you've got a coach, you can actually start your recruitment drive. And, and that's the big thing because they've just been behind the eight ball for a long, long time. Britt, let's talk a little bit wider about what this um, this appointment does, uh, I guess, for, for the connection between Shoot Shield and, and New South Wales Rugby. We know it's not a relationship that has always been... Um, uh, humming along, if you like, uh, best friends, certainly uh, by no means are the, the imagination. Um, but there's a guy like Darren Coleman who is, has been so entrenched in across the shoot shield and a number of clubs, as we've mentioned. Does that, you know, certainly start to repair that relationship a little bit that, um, you know, they can uh, they see that one of their own has graduated through to the top job and unlike beforehand when when Rob Andrew Hall, the, the former Waratah CEO, went and, and brought Rob Penny in from overseas, having already had um, Daryl Gibson um, who come through the assistant role there under Michael Checker to begin with. Does this appointment kind of bring it back to the clubs a little bit and, and say, yep, yeah, this is what we want to do. We want to foster coaches. We know it's a focus of Rugby Australia going forward, but he's a guy from the shoot shield that has graduated to the number one job in, in New South Wales. Let's make a habit of this. What will that do for, I guess, New South Wales rugby and shoot shield club relationships? Hmm. I think definitely um, it does tie it all in together. And I think a lot of... Um, players and clubs will feel really justified that they've been saying for a long time, look to us, we we have the talent, um, we have the players and we have the, the coaches who deserve to move up to that next level. Um, I think if New South Wales rugby um, are kind of are determined to turn away from this third tier um, sport that they, the third tier level of rugby, then they really need to realize that their catchment is in shoot shield and there's been a lot of players and a lot of clubs crying out for years um, to look towards them to um, instead of looking around in other places in other regions to really realize that there are some players there some really good talent there that that should be given um, a go um, I know DC um, he really does bring in when he re when he recruits. He does look around and he brings them in, and he wants them to go to the next level. I know at Gordon um, last year they were aware they want their players to go to that next level, 
They were aware that when they brought these good guys into this team, that that was going to be the platform that they're going to get selected from. Um, so that's what these shoot shield clubs, that's their goal. They, as much as they want to foster these teams and have continuity and have this great first, um, first grade team winning every year, they also want, you know, their best players picked up and taken to the next level and going to super rugby. And unfortunately, a lot of the times these players aren't getting picked up. And instead of staying in Australia, they're going to France, they're going to Italy, they're going to Ireland. So I think for a lot of them, a lot of players will be thinking, you know, DC has played, has coached me for, for years. He's coached against me for years. He knows what kind of player I am. He knows how I can, like what I can do. And they'll be saying, you know what, this is, this is really my opportunity. This is my chance. For a lot of them will think this is my first chance um, that someone will actually look towards me and, and bring me into the, the Waratahs fold. Yeah, it's an excellent point, Britt. Um, Chrissy, what about wider in terms of recruitment? Uh, he's certainly not going to have a lot of time. Um, we know the Waratahs are losing a few. Jack Dempsey springs to mind. Um, but elsewhere, there's the makings of a, of a good side in this Waratahs group. You've got Angus Bell and, and Harry Johnson-Holmes, I think, probably coming off. We know it was only Angus Bell's second season, but probably Harry Johnson's home, Holmes' best season yet until he got injured. But... At lock, that's where they're really light. And certainly Jack Dempsey's um, uh, departure will, will sting in the back row. Of course, they get Michael Hooper back. So you're looking um, like the, you've still got Lockie Swinton there. Um, yeah, we, know, we know Jake Gordon at, at number nine. They've got two quality young tens in Donaldson and, and Harrison. Um, Paquetti's in this Wallabies team. Uh, sorry, Wallabies squad. Uh, Parisi, you mentioned, will be back next year after he sorts out his shoulder issues. And... And there's some talented guys out wide, if still a bit raw, and, and you've marked the Wonga Nitawase's and, and Maddox, as you, you mentioned, just managed to get that out. Mark, I hope it didn't sound too butchered. Um, but what does Darren Coleman do now with recruitment? Does he target lock? Um, and how quickly and, and how, I guess, active is he going to be able to be in the market, given we're almost halfway through the year and, and a lot of guys have already made up their minds? Yeah, well, I can tell you that Jack Maddox is going to France. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a blow, you know. He's he's one of the few Wallabies in that uh, squad, so he'll be off following the Olympics, I understand. Um, but in, in, from I, I, I heart back to what to what Michael Checker did because Checker had a very good squad, a test squad, a lot of players with with Wallabies experience in 2013, 2014. But he brought in Mitch Chapman from the Reds. He brought in. Reignited Stephen Hoyles' career. Matt Carraro, another one, yeah. And Matt Carraro as well. And, and these guys really were the foundations, the glue that brought these guys together, years and years of experience. And I think you need a bit of that because we don't, the Waratahs don't have any of that really at the moment. They've, they've lost a couple of guys like Sam Wikes, who was brought in this year, but hardly stepped foot on the, on the paddock. Um, I think another really crucial thing that they need to do is get their strength and conditioning right. From what I understood, that didn't work quite well uh, this year. You need to have a coach and a, and a strength and conditioning person on the same page, make sure that they know where their bodies are because a 20-year-old can't do what a 30-year-old is going to be doing. Um, so that's really, really important. But from a personnel perspective, yes, you're looking at the type five. We know that there's a classy back row in there. Ned Hannigan has signed, but he's not going to be there for the first half of next year. He's likely to be there for the back half. 
he will be looked at as, as a second rower. We know that the back row is pretty well stocked. So they're going to have someone there for the second half, but they need at least another person. They have big wraps on Max Douglas, but they know that he needs to put on a bit of weight. Um, but that's a, that's a two, three, four year mission project um, there. You, you don't have that turned overnight. So I'd be targeting, if you can, someone probably, I can know that they've got a couple of exciting young midfielders. They've got Lalakai Fagetti there now, who's in the Wallaby squad. Parisi would have been, but he's injured. But they probably need one more experienced person in the back line. You know, Jake Gordon's by far the oldest um, and most experienced, but you need another one in there. Um, it's a shame that Reece Hodge in many ways is staying with the Rebels because I think he's the sort of player that's a New South Wales player that they need in there. So they've got to think slightly outside the square. Having conversations with Nick Phipps, he believes there is a, there's a truckload of type five players that are playing in the English Premiership and around that would be eligible, that would be interested in coming. I think, you know, let's start tapping into the wider net of the Waratahs and realise who you can pull from. But, you know, here's a classic example with, with what Britt was saying around players. You know, Harrison Goddard has ended up and he's playing starting at nine for the for the Giltinis at the moment. You know, he's a player that played Australian under-20s level but was lost because he wasn't getting picked in the Rebels squad. The Waratahs need to, 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 to rather than start losing some of the players, getting them, and I'd be targeting the Reds as well. You know, they've got a couple, they've got four or five really good front row forwards. You'd be trying to get um, one or two of those props. Um, you, you think about maybe Fokker Tuita, or, or, or mispronounced his name, but he's starting behind a couple of those players at times. Um, Zongo, like there, there's a couple. Of, Zander, yeah, there's a few there, yep. You'd be targeting those sorts of players. Um, you know, even in the second rowers there, Ryan Smith, um, they've got Angus Blythe there. You know, one of them you can guarantee minutes. Um, and, you know, that's what the Brumbies have done for years and years. I think the Waratahs need to get one or two players from, from Queensland. Britt, um, I, I guess looking a little bit further forward, it's a key development as well. We know the the new stadium, which we drive past a couple of days a week, although we're working from home again now in the Sydney lockdown. Uh, we're not at the office next to, to Moore Park there at the moment. Um, but you can see with a new stadium comes excitement. Um, we know they've also got the the uh, the the new training facility down at, at Daceyville. It's it's underway. Um, it's going to be um, be there in the future. These things suddenly become, I guess, attractions as well as having a, a coach like Darren Coleman in there. That suddenly the, the Waratahs becomes a place that, that people want to go again. Now, that certainly wasn't the case this year um, with everything that was going on. We know New South Wales was rugby was was on the nose. Um, my story last week that they they almost lost a chunk of their heartland out in country New South Wales to the Brumbies by a matter of one or two votes. Um, so the, the state has got a lot of, uh, New South Wales rugby has got a lot of relationships out there to men, but this is certainly going to have a, a trickle down effect, isn't it? Um, but how quickly do you think uh, Darren Coleman can turn results around on the field? Surely they'll get some wins next year, but um, can they you know, push into a position that, that might see them challenge for the, the Super Rugby AU title if that competition goes ahead, which we'll, uh, we'll cover a bit later uh, in the podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, you know, they, they've got a new stadium, they've got new um, training facilities for a long time. The Waratahs have really hung on to the idea that they're Sydney and that's been their draw card, that they've been trying to bring players into this mammoth city. There's there's everything that you could want in this city and that's been their draw card. But now they've got 
you know, the stadium, a new stadium, a new state of the art training facility, and they, they've actually got something more tangible to sell to players. Um, look, it's going to be hard. You know, the Waratahs, they've got a lot, a lot of young guys. Um, they've come off a season where they didn't win a single game. Um, there's going to be a lot of mental scarring involved in that and trying to turn that around is going to be really difficult. Look, I wouldn't put it past him, though. Um, as we've mentioned, he, he's a, a big players player. And I, I know last year, at Gordon, he called every player in, in this, the, the whole club just to make sure they were getting through lockdown okay. So if he's that type of bloke who can get on side with the players, make them work really hard um, in a professional setup, and, and get them over those hurdles. I, I wouldn't put him past it, put it past him to get a few wins on the board. Whether they can uh, fight for a title, a Super AU title, that's I think comes down to recruitment. What guys they get involved in the squad. Um, we saw, as we've mentioned, there's a lot of players that have the ability. A lot of young guys who are coming through, and and you know you can see those seeds of, of what they can bring. It's just going to be, can we nurture it a bit more? Can we bring them all together? Can we get them working together as that one big unit? And can they get over the line? Um, so it's really, it's a bit hard to say. I mean, you've got the Brumbies, you've got the Reds that, are, that have been dominating the last few years. So can the Waratahs compete against that? Uh, I think we'll have to wait to see, wait and see. But yeah, I, I think DC will will bring them together, and I think he's got a good chance of of getting some more wins on the board next year. And and you know maybe he will get them competing against those two big units. So, Brent, yeah. that's a classic. That's a classic sitting on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say if, if if indeed it is a Super Rugby AU comp with involvement from Fiji, I think that they will push for the finals. Um, I don't think if, if, if New Zealand's involvement in a fully, um, you know, fledged super rugby comp, I don't think they'll get anywhere near it. But mm. I think that, you know, we, we, we know that they came within just a couple of points, one kick of the game on two or three occasions this year. They're not too far away. What they need is just a couple of forwards, a bit more belief. And as you probably said earlier in, 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 the, uh, in the podcast, a guy that's going to put an arm around them, they, they won't be too far away next year. And we'll see them go very well I think the year after yeah intriguing uh, to watch next year and I'm sure both Rugby Australia and executives at, at Nine and Stan Sport will be looking for an improvement next year having a successful Waratahs team will no doubt push those, those Saturday, Saturday night excuse me figures up there on Gem which dipped typically when the Waratahs were playing about 45,000 I think for, for Metro there in that final game against the Chiefs if you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love, with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. All right, guys, it's uh, off to a fly today. Let's move on to, I guess, everything else that's going on in Australian rugby at the moment, and there's plenty. Um, dramatic few days, obviously, uh, the Sydney lockdown, um, we probably all saw it coming. Uh, we're all now subject to the conditions. Um, thankfully, the Wallabies had been uh, moved up to, to Sanctuary Cove on the on the Gold Coast. Uh, Dave Rennie made that clear a few months ago that um, that was going to be his base. And what uh, a blessing to um, that turned out to be when you've got the entire Wallabies coaching set up there. You know, brilliant. This is a masterstroke from Dave Rennie. He also made mention, I recall Christy at one point about there being few, I guess, younger. Um, 
females' distractions around uh, Sanctuary Cove, uh, only a, a few uh, retirees up there playing golf. So uh, I don't think they can get into any trouble off the field. It was a throwaway line from from Dave at one point. Um, just uh, let, let's rehash, I guess, the developments of the last few days then, Christy. Um, the, the opening test, which was meant to be uh, Wednesday the 7th of July at the SCG, now at Suncorp Stadium. Um, we're kind of waiting anxiously today to see what happens with with Queensland, there's rumours of a perhaps another small snap lockdown up there with a, some cases of the Delta variant um, having been out in the community. Um, Anastasia Palaszczuk to, to speak to the media shortly, I believe. Um, but I guess it's not a bad result. We know the Wallabies love playing at Suncorp Stadium there. That their record is vastly superior to what it is here in Sydney. Um, it would mean that uh, all things going ahead, that the first and third tests will be played there. But it does add in a, another tough little... I guess, um, hurdle for the, the French to, to cover now because they're only going to get out from hotel quarantine where they are being allowed to train, of course, here in Sydney um, for about five hours a day, I think, at Leichhardt Oval. Um, next Tuesday, uh, they would then have an extra flight to get up there, another hotel to get into and check in. It's, it's probably going to make their assignment that little bit more tougher for that opening test, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I asked Andy Marinos this yesterday just you know how are the French feeling at the moment what did the communications been because they were under the belief the assumption that you know COVID wasn't really an issue in Australia and they've just come off you know the world's longest rugby season it's just about as long as the English Premier League it goes on and on and on um, and no disrespect to our football friends uh, they're not getting pummeled into the turf every you know second moment of the day like you are in rugby so this is oh, I'd be spewing if I was the French because, you know, they would have hoped for a bit of sun and, um, you know, not a, not a holiday of sorts. They've come down here to win and they need to prove themselves against the Southern Hemisphere opposition. Um, but it, it's, it's a major distraction. It's a disappointment for them. And it's, you know, from a Rugby Australia perspective, they, were, they didn't think it was a disaster and they made sure that they weren't, you know, that that, that wasn't getting into rugby journalists copy that it is a disaster but if you have a, a situation where two or three of your tests now might not be able to be played in front of fans well yes it'll be able to go ahead yes the broadcast dollars is the most significant thing to keep the operation afloat but the extra revenue that you would have been able to get through the gates and you know we know that the Sydney Cricket Ground was just about a sellout um I'm sure that at least one of the sort, uh, one of the Suncorp games would have been at least forty thousand. They would have been hoping for at least thirty on the second. This is a, a, a big obstacle and issue, and a, and a real disappointment for for rugby Australia and Australian rugby on the whole. Yeah, they were offering a two-game pass uh, with a, the announcement that that opening test had been moved to Brisbane. But, of course, we're still waiting to see um, just what kind of crowd there. We know they had a full house for the origin on Sunday night, but it may well be back to, to 50% or, or something perhaps even smaller. Uh, Britt, you were at the that historic uh, game at Bankwest last year when uh, Argentina, we know their story of last year. They'd had weeks and weeks in lockdown and then come into Australia and have another two weeks of, of lockdown and quarantine and... Um, they they then come out and produce a performance that will be remembered for a long while, certainly defensively and and at the breakdown, inspired by by Pablo Matera there. Um, just a, a fantastic afternoon. I know, Christy, I know you were there as well. Um, is there any chance that this latest development, and I guess this whole situation with the, the French facing such a, an uphill battle, um, we know there's talk that this is, a, this is a new era of French rugby. These young players, they're motivated, they're highly skilled, 
we know the success that they've had in the the under twenties tournaments the last few years. There's a number of those players in this squad. That um, that also this this adds, I guess, another little chip on the shoulder. That yeah, we've got something to prove. Um, everything has gone right here for the Wallabies. Basically, let's let's face it. Um, let's go in there and put in a performance that people will remember. And it may have just added that extra little bit of motivation as it did with the the Pumas last year. Mm, yeah, definitely. I, as you mentioned, I was at that game last year, and you know, heading to that game, I remember talking to my mum, and I and I just said, oh, look, I maybe watch the first half, but I, I have a feeling it's just going to be all blacks all day so uh, it's it's probably not going to be one to watch and then you know 10-15 minutes into the game you're thinking wow they, they've come here to play and, and we shouldn't have written them off like that and I, I think that's going to be something that the French are going to be keeping in, in mind as well um, we know it's probably not their strongest squad that they've brought down um, but we shouldn't underestimate them um, you know they've come here they've come here with a job and they want to prove to everyone that they can get it done that they can really put it to the Wallabies and um, as Ian Foster said at the end of that All Blacks loss last year you know being in the hotel quarantine together and, and training together and spending those weeks together it, it probably gave them that edge it, it brought them closer together and uh, I think that's something that the French will have on their side as well they're going to be really engaged and they'll really want to get this job done um, I think a lot of people are uh, have over the weeks if you look on Twitter a lot of people have kind of been uh, probably counting the eggs before they hatch you know um, expecting a, a few good wins from the Wallabies but I, I don't think probably it's one be- of them but I think uh, I don't think we can be reading too far into it you know the first game has been moved and that puts both teams on the back foot Um, yeah it's it's a bit easier for the Wallabies they're already up on the Gold Coast but um, the French won't be letting them they won't let that put them down they'll uh, they they're always a big strong squad and I think this will just you know give them an extra edge to to really take it to the Wallabies and um you know what, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just came out firing and really just took it to the Wallabies and, and just pummeled them to the ground almost. So, Christy, um, let's look at the Wallabies. Uh, some injury concerns we know of. Certainly Nick White is already out of the squad, so that throws open um, the, the opportunity for Tate McDermott, Jake Gordon, or even Ryan Loddingen perhaps. Um, uh, some Also some, some worries around James O'Connor who didn't play those last two games uh, of Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. Matt Tamura also picked up a knock early. He's in some doubt. There's, there's a few issues there and, and having them in the halves certainly isn't the best place because we know um, that certainly Nick Wider and James O'Connor are naturally the, the first pick there. Um, I certainly got the feeling listening to Dave Rennie last week that even though he didn't want to rush Jake Gordon, that he was kind of also excited about his progress and that, you know, that if push comes to shove, they may well pick him for that first test, um, purely because how he played through the through the Waratah season there. And he's probably got a stronger pass than Tate McDermott at this point. Um, but I guess then, you know, you, you throw in the, the opportunity that Noah Lolasio might start, potentially Brees Hodge. We know he's got no qualms picking someone from left field as we as he did with Reese last year, Dave Rennie. Um, Reese has been out for a long while, but by all reports, back training in a, in a full capacity there on the Gold Coast. So, mate, what are you hearing? What's the latest? And, and how do you see this going? I reckon this is a dead set open as because there's real ramifications with these halves. If you're, if you're wanting a couple of injuries in the Wallabies at the moment, you don't want them in the halves because it is so raw underneath 
underneath uh, Jake Gordon and and um, and Nick White. I, I would not be surprised if Ryan Lonigan gets a start in front of Tate McDermott. I know that the Wallabies have real concerns around Tate's pass. Um, his strength isn't his kicking. Uh, and if, if that happens, um, there'll be a lot of people that will throw their arms up and down. There's, 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 with Tate, I think there's an excitement about what he can do. But in a first test against France, um, a big pack, which is going to you know, hunt him down if he plays, really put pressure on him. I'm not sure if it's the best avenue to have your test um, day, running on debut start. He's only played a couple of minutes off the bench. Or be, like, he, he had a couple of impressive touches against the All Blacks in the, in the Bledisloe 4 where they won. Um, if, and if that happens, you know, does, does the combinations come into play? If, if James O'Connor is ruled out, um, who, who does Noel Alessio want passing him the balls? Someone who he's never played with uh, or hardly played with maybe in Tate or someone like Ryan Lonigan who, who played a lot of games, a lot of minutes for the Brumbies this year. I think it'll be interesting. Reese Hodge, we know, has experience. I know that Scott Johnson really rates him highly, which is interesting because the Reese Hodge kind of player at 10 goes against what Scott Johnson has typically wanted out of his 10s from my understanding. So maybe a Hodge comes into the equation to start because of the experience. I don't think that they would necessarily want to go in with a really raw nine and 10, but we know as well that with James O'Connor last year, there was very few people that thought he was going to be ruled out for that Bledisloe three game. They kept him under wraps big time. At the moment, he's still being limited to what he can do. Matt Tamura didn't get up to rugby um, to training on the Gold Coast on Sunday like they had hoped because there's a suggestion that he might have been in Sydney at a point in time. And does that limit his ability to go there given the COVID scares? So all sorts are happening in the halves at the moment. It'll be fascinating to see how this transpires over the next week. Yeah, you're probably only going to think that there's only a handful of certain starters at this point. Um, second row looks wide open. Dave Rennie revealed last week that Matt Phillip was was going straight from hotel quarantine to the airport to get on a flight and wasn't caught up um, in the uh, the COVID restrictions at that point because he had been isolating prior to this latest uh, outbreak of the Delta variant here in Sydney. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating build-up, um, not just off the field, clearly uh, with the Wallaby selections moving forward to, to kick off there on, on Wednesday. Um, but I think number one at the top of the list, it's hard to go past Britt uh, seeing Michael Hooper's return um, just what kind of what Nick he's in, how he settles back into what will be an infinitely more physical style of rugby than what he's been used to the last six months. We know that the, there was murmurings around Fraser McWright's performances in Super Rugby U, certainly quietened a little bit by what we saw from him in, in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, where the physicality, I think, got to him. But it's an interesting little sidebar there, and I think everyone's going to be really watching Michael Hooper to see how he returns. Um, how do you see it, Britt? Yeah, it should be really interesting. I, I know a lot of people have um, questioned his captaincy ability, but I don't think you can really question his um, actual ability on the field. Um, he is a physical tough player and he definitely leads from the front. And that's something that the Wallabies really need. Um, as you mentioned, playing Japan, it's uh, perhaps not, well, it, it isn't that tough kind of game style that, that they play in France. And we know the French, that's what they're going to bring. They're going to be bringing these big, back rowers who really just want to make a mess of the breakdown and really just want to hit hard and push players onto the back foot. So 
I think Hooper's got to have uh, a lot on his plate. Um, he's going to have to really, uh, you know, from the start, from the opening whistle, really uh, put a message out there and, and lead the Wallabies. Um, uh, I think he, he I, I mean, I don't think anyone can doubt that he has that ability. I mean, you've watched him over these years and he, he's always up for it. He's always making those big hits. He's there where he needs to be. Um, he's uh, uh, People kind of say he's not that seven who's scavenging for the ball at the breakdown, but it, he, it's not like he doesn't have that ability and it's not like we haven't seen him do those things before. So I think, I don't think we should have any doubts that he can step up and he can lead this team both as a player on the field with his, um, uh, with his muscle and his strength, but also with his captaincy. I think he's learned over the last few years that when points are on offer, you must take them. And I think uh, he's going to be aware of doing that this series against France. We know they're a bit of a, a different, we, we've seen them in the, in the um, Six Nations and what they can do there, but they, they're probably going to be a different sort of beast now that, that it's not really their first team. It's not the team that, um, you know, we're expecting to see per se, but I think he's going to be aware that he, he's going to be the one to make that first big hit to really put um, what the Wallabies message is going to be this year. And yeah, he's going to have to do that both as a captain and as a, a player running around. Worth remembering, of course, uh, his first introduction, I guess, Christy Michael Hooper was in that French series when Stephen Moore went down um, after, I think, about five or six minutes in the opening test in Brisbane um, back in, in 2014. And, and, you know, we know Stephen Moore came back and reclaimed the captaincy for the World Cup in a, in a year after, but um, it was his first real taste at, at such a young age. Um, mate, let's, it's been uh, quite an amazing week of, of I guess, news lines and and uh, games around the world um, that have little Australian angles, hasn't there? Let's uh, let's start with um, with the French uh, top fourteen final. Uh, no less than three Aussies involved in that. Um, in and all at lock, um, the, the Arnold brothers uh, there for Toulouse and uh, Big Will Skelton, who we heard has re-signed through with La Rochelle to to twenty twenty five. But another interesting sidebar in that press conference with with Andy Marinos yesterday was that there perhaps could be the potential given COVID ramifications and everything else that um, the Wallabies certainly planning to go on a spring tour at this stage. Um, but that also players who may not um, typically, well, I guess are eligible um, and can be brought in under, under Dave Rennie's updated Gitto law from last year might actually suddenly become a, a realistic option later this year. Um, if some players opt not to go, obviously there's going to be quarantine clearly still coming back to Australia at the tour's end. Does that suddenly throw open this possibility for Will Skelton, even though um, he's re-signed with La Rochelle for such a, a long time? Uh, ditto for, for Rory Arnold and potentially Richie Arnold as well. I would think Will Skelton won't be taking part. I think he's, from what I'm hearing, he's been offered a lot of chances and probably none more so than in 2019 in the lead up to the World Cup. Rugby Australia was really keen to see uh, whether or not he was interested in, in taking part in the campaign coming back. You know, he might have... They certainly wanted him to, to play in Australia, whether or not they would have made a, um, you know, like what they did with with Matt Gitto and Drew Mitchell in 2015, a concession to try to bring him home. I'm not quite sure. But I, from what I heard, he, he might have used it as a, as a play to get as a, as a leverage play to get more money out of Saracens at the time. Um I think Rory Arnold is a strong chance. Now, whether or not he comes back for the rugby championship, I'm not sure. But 
he's a very strong chance to play at the spring tour, which, which would be great. The other thing that I've heard is, you know, it's going to be at that point in time, about 18 months until the, the next World Cup in, in 2023. Dave Rennie's not going to pick players who aren't going to feature or, pop, or likely feature in that 2023 World Cup campaign in France. So I don't think you're going to be able to see, you know, wholesale players just being picked from willy-nilly across um, Europe and the United Kingdom and Ireland. I think it will be maybe targeted one or two players that have every chance of coming back. Brit, um, Oceania 7's up in, in Townsville, uh, the uh, the final Olympic preparation for Australia, New Zealand and Fiji, and of course an Oceania team completing the um, the four-team series in both the women's and the men's over the weekend. Let's let's start with the women. Um, it's, a, it's a squad, a, a group that you've had quite a bit to do with over the last few years. Um, now, I harp back to the Commonwealth Games final uh, on the Gold Coast there a few years ago. We know they came back from the Rio Olympics, the Aussie girls, and and then had that wonderful Sydney Sevens, I think, when they they didn't even concede a try in in their three pool games, a quarter, a semi, and a final. Um, but then roll forward to that Commonwealth Games, and it was yeah, like I don't know what you guys feel about the Commonwealth Games. I'm a bit hit and miss, and certainly having covered it now, um, I do not wish it all to to cover another one of my journalistic career and have absolutely zero interest in going to Birmingham in uh, next year. But that final was really something special at Seabus um, Super Stadium or whatever it might have been back then. And I just got the feel that the Aussie girls were just overcome. That was the first time they'd succumbed to the pressure. Um, when they lost a, a, a game, I think it was, might have been to England um, in, their, in their pool stages up there. And they were almost in tears uh, in the mix zone afterwards. And it was just it almost like suddenly this, this expectation and this pressure of being the the new, I guess, golden girls of Australian sport had finally caught up with them. Meanwhile, New Zealand, the Black Ferns have, have just, to me, they've gone to another level. And, and every time I see, I watch the two nations face off, the, the Aussie girls almost look beaten before they go out there. And um, it was certainly a comprehensive performance again from the Black Ferns over the weekend. Um, I, I guess looking forward, to, can you see any chance that the Aussie Sevens can, in the women's can get near the Black Ferns, even though we know Sevens can be such an unpredictable game at times. But to me, the Black Ferns just look like they're in another another level. Mm. Well, I mean, if we go back to Rio, that gold gold medal match, you know, though it was, it almost came down to those, those little moments that happened in Sevens. You know, there was a yellow card, the Black Ferns were down a player, and then um, not to take away from the girls' win, but, you know, it's those little moments. And um, I think I think everyone's still riding on that. That um, I think a lot of fans are still riding on those moments that they they beat the Black Ferns. But we shouldn't be surprised where the girls are. Realistically, they haven't beaten the Black Ferns in quite some time. The Black Ferns have been um, building really well, and they're still and they're a very strong team. Uh, whereas the Australian team, they. Uh, as much as they have those, um, a lot of the girls from Rio, they've brought in a lot of younger new girls. And as you mentioned at the Commonwealth Games, um, it is almost like that pressure, that pressure can is, it has almost just exploded now. There's a lot of young girls, there's a lot of pressure on them to succeed, to emulate what happened five years ago now. Um, and I think it, it almost, it did get to them in, in the Commonwealth Games. And I think now it is, almost this monkey on their backs when they go into to play New Zealand. It's it's there. They, they're aware of it. They, they're aware they haven't beaten them in some time. Um, you know, this weekend probably wouldn't have helped them that much because 
they got well and truly beaten in those two games. And then I think their loss to Fiji will be a, a massive wake-up call for them, um, for, not to take away from the Fiji women, um, but they're not really on that playing field. The same playing field as, you know, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the USA. They're, they're generally a level above the rest. And I think a lot of those girls are going to take away from from that, that they've got quite a lot of work to do. And, and John Menenti is, is going to know that as well, that, um, you know, that there's only, what, 20 or so days, 24 days until the Olympics. And, um, you know, that I think that weekend probably was a bit of a blow to their, you know, their, um, wouldn't say egos, but their confidence. Um, and now that they know their pool at the Olympics, they've got the USA um who they know are a bigger team. And um, Menenti said before that they really need to work on their defence when they play teams that, that are bigger than them. And, um, you know, th yeah, they, they're going to really have to work really hard now if they want to go back to back and if they want to beat New Zealand. I'm almost in my head thinking maybe someone else needs to knock New Zealand off before they get to the final because I, I, I truly, I'm not, I don't think we're going to do it in that gold medal match. Oh, I'll jump in here, Brucey. Oh, a couple of things. I, Australia has hardly played anyone in, in the last, you know, 12, 16 months. So I think it's exactly what they needed and they needed a bit of a wake-up call. I also think that this New Zealand side now is, is peaking. They're at the, 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 the yeah. you know, right at the pointy end of their cycle, whereas the Australian women will, you know, you look at the younger players coming through and I think that they will be peaking for the next Olympic cycle, which will be three years away. That point, I think, needs to be made. But I also wonder whether or not these Aussie women have got a little bit too big for their boots at times. Um, I think that they're a little bit heavy in terms of their legs at the moment. There was a suggestion in 2017 by a couple of people that they are spending too much time in the gym. And I think that that holds true to an extent. Um, we saw on the weekend that Australia's men and women, I think, at times looked a bit heavy on the grass running. And you looked at and you compared it to New Zealand, who looked like they were running a country mile quicker. Um, it was like looking at, you know, really heavy horses on a heavy track compared to horses that just run through and they, you know, they're winks. So, you know, but we also know that sevens is played over 14 minutes. And I think anything can really happen. One bad tackle can change things. And both the men and the women shouldn't be written off the door. I think the Aussie women have got a good pool. The Aussie men have got a very tough pool. And the Aussie, uh, particularly the men's side is, you know, there's six or seven teams that could very much compete for a podium finish. Uh, that is so open and it is very exciting, I think, looking forward, what's going to happen on that side particularly. Just watching uh, Tyler Nathan Wong and that, that Black Ferns team, I just thought she looked exactly how Charlotte Kaslick did a few years ago, just completely in control of where her team were going. Um, great footwork, great speed, um, kicks goals as well. And she looms for me as the key player for that Black Ferns team. If she's if she played as well, like you're right, they, they are just humming. They're humming. Christy, um, just quickly on the men, uh, Sema Karebi uh, made uh, his return to the sevens fold. Uh, did you see enough from him to suggest that he'll he'll crack Tim Walsh's squad. Um, did he provide that point of difference that he was looking for? And and um, could he be an asset for the Aussie men, I guess, in Tokyo? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure if we've seen enough necessarily, um, but one thing that he provides is he knows Japan well. He's spent the last six months there. He's played there a couple of times. Uh, we know the Wallabies, big match experience. Those sorts of things shouldn't be taken um, for granted or, or underestimated. They're, they're significant. He, he played all right, um, given that he, he's been with that squad for about a week. Uh, he's coming back from a knee injury. I think there was enough to show that he could be used in short bursts. Um, I, you know, given that Jack Maddox wasn't there, I think that probably ends his hopes of going, which is which is a real shame. Um, we know that Morris Longbottom wasn't there either, and, and he will add a lot of X factor uh, for them. And 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 this really brushed a lot of the cobwebs away for this side, I think. So, I think uh, all in all, it's a positive experience for all three nations. Um, particularly, Tim Walsh got a really good opportunity to look. What are the, the fringe players? How are they going, given that they are playing for an Oceania Barbarian side? So it really gave them a point of difference to be able to select and, and firm up what I think your 13 players will be. Guys, just one last one quickly. Uh, a famous Australian rugby name, uh, again, doing the business at Twickenham on Saturday night, Aussie time. Uh, just a, an incredible final there in the Premiership decider between Harlequins uh, and Exeter. Um, Quinn's getting the job done. Just an amazing turnaround in their season from where they came from at the, the middle point of the year. Um, and Lewis Liner, uh, the son of Michael, doing the business uh, for the Quinns on the wing uh, over there. A couple of great finishes. Um, has seemed to have aligned himself with England at this point. Uh, played 20s for them. Um, is obviously in the Quinns system. Um, Christy, uh, just your, your take on, on, on where he's at. And we know this is the case with a couple of other famous um, uh, internationals from that era, Zinzan Brook, excuse me, as well, his, uh, his son. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. He scored two tries. He scored the two match-winning tries on the weekend uh, for Harlequins. He scored a week earlier and two tries disallowed. He made a good shot on semi Rodrigo, so we know he defensively stands up. Michael Liner, his father, has been pretty active in the last 48 hours on social media. And it was interesting that he said that... Um, you know, uh, the Italians had come after him as well. Italians and Rugby Australia have made inquiries around him over the last two weeks. England has not. I just wonder whether or not... He's 21. Um, if, you know... Uh, Connor O'Shea now is, I think, the head of the RFU from a... From a um, a high performance perspective. Now he had flown to to see Louis Liner uh, a few years ago to sound out whether or not he would play for Italy because Conor O'Shea was the uh, Italian coach at the time. Maybe Eddie Jones doesn't rate him or doesn't think that he has a point of difference. So it would be fascinating to see what happens over the next twelve months. Might he come and join? His younger brother, who's going to be with the Reds in, in, uh, next season, he'll probably be touching down in the next two months in Queensland. Might we see both liners at Queensland? How good would that be? I think it'd be it'd be great to see the liner name and and a real nostalgic touch, and and, and maybe even Michael Liner becomes even more aligned to to rugby in this country again, given that he spent so long overseas. Uh, it'd be great. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, something to keep an eye on over the next few months uh, from an off-field perspective. Uh, all right, guys, uh, just, despite not having uh, or having very little on-field rugby to, to cover this week, I think it's uh, our longest podcast yet. So 
Fantastic, Britt. Thanks very much for, for joining us for the first time. Uh, great to get your insights into, into Darren Coleman there and, and what he did at Gordon and, and certainly um, some insights into in how he'll set about turning the, the Waratahs around and uh, we'll get you back on again uh, through the year. No worries. It was great to be on. And thanks, Christy, mate. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.